I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. My step-aunt is a nun, and she showed up at my apartment and told me that something had happened and she had to take me to her convent. I know that there is pretty much nothing less interesting than hearing about someone's dreams. She kind of like snuck me in and I was like hiding in the catacombs of this convent. It had just like this really musty, weird smell, like uh, like barbecue, like burnt barbecue and like mildew. Things seem weird, but also sort of realistic. I was put on this gurney and slowly saw myself floating up to heaven. So at that point, I realized that somewhere between the convent and the gurney had died, and I was passing on to heaven. Um, okay, so, but... He was, like, arguing with um, what I assumed was St. Peter about how I should not be admitted into heaven. Eventually I got kicked out, and I was strapped to the bottom of this train to go to hell. And then I'd see, like, these giants, like, hundreds of feet away, like, stalking towards us, and... So, yeah, dreams, they're weird, they're boring, we get it, but this is not a dream. It's not, it's not a dream. Heaven was like super pastel colors, but when I got to hell, it was just a gigantic parking lot of all these really old cars from like the 40s and 50s, and they were all extremely vibrant, and you had to find a car to to live in. This is Ashley, and what she is describing this was all very real to her. There were these bees flying around, blue and yellow bees. And the second I got to hell, like my whole body started, it was very hot and steamy and there was a lot of pain. And somebody told me, eat the yellow bee. So I ate the bee and all the pain went away, but it would wear off eventually. And then I quickly realized if you eat the bee to take the pain away, it erases all the danger so you can't protect yourself. And if you eat the blue bee to counteract the yellow bee, then everything would come back, but you could also hide. Does that make sense? Absolutely not. (laughs) It makes I get it, though. It's like, you know, you eat the yellow bee, it fucks you up. You eat the blue bee, it's a different kind of, like, yeah. Ashley was in hell. Well, hell was really a coma, but... She didn't know that. When I mean, she didn't know that. She just thought, like, gotta eat this bee. What did you wake up to? Um, the first thing I remember is uh, a whiteboard that said April 21st. And then I remember opening my eyes and my best friend was there with these gigantic, like, goofy glasses on, her and her husband, or her now husband. And, um... I was in this bed, and my whole family was standing there, and there's, like, cellophane um, frog balloons everywhere. And um, they were talking about watching uh, the Peter Pan cartoon on the television. And I was just like, what the... What is going on? And um, I was super certain that I was still dead, you know? And that this is another, another world that I had, like found myself in um and then nothing Ashley went back to hell figuratively speaking she passed out 
literally. I woke up and my whole right leg was um, just like completely covered in bandages and like I could see blood and it was super painful and I had remembered that day with the Peter Pan cartoon like my right leg like um, it, there was no damage to it whatsoever so you know I, I quickly figured out okay this is my new hell like I'm, I'm just going to be stuck in this bed and they're going to torture me and uh, continue to just like add to my um, injuries whatever they may be This new awake is only sort of awake. Things are starting to blur with that coma life. She starts to see things from that world while she's conscious in the real world. And every time I like turn my head, my mom turns into this gigantic like spider creature who's trying to like lay eggs underneath my skin. And when my stepdad opens his mouth, these like little bugs fly out and try and like again like burrow into me and uh you know part of what I had done when I was in the other house is I would think happy thoughts and it would help a little bit so I'm laying in this bed and all this is happening so I'm thinking okay like um fluffy bunnies and these like gigantic rabid vampire bunnies start like crawling out of the ceiling and surrounding me and like yep this is definitely hell and none of my old coping skills are working so it was uh it's bad Ashley didn't know that this hell was really the intensive care unit she didn't fully understand that she was actually alive and that her hell was real it just was not what she thought it was she knew that sometimes her friends and family were there with her but she assumed that they were in hell too but someone was missing. Uh, my friend Rachel came to visit, and um, she was, I think she was, like, drawing me pictures. And um, at that time, I couldn't I couldn't do anything. I couldn't uh, walk, talk, write. Um, but I, I remember trying to grab the pen from her, and um, I, I was trying to write something, and... She looked at it and immediately her she just turned so white and she left and my mom came back in and um, my mom held up the paper to me and you could tell I was trying to write Brett and um, she's like, are, are you asking about Brett? And I didn't, I was just wondering where he was in this hell because everybody else was here, you know? Uh, and she told me, you know, honey, you were in a fire and um, Brett didn't make it. That's the real hell. That Ashley's boyfriend is dead, and she is not. But she still didn't understand what what happened. If Brett's dead, then, like, when did he die? And he would explain to me, like, well, you were in a fire, and about three days later, uh, Brett died from smoke inhalation and was buried a little bit after that, but you were in a coma. A fire. A fire is why Ashley is in the hospital. A fire is why Brett is dead. As Ashley comes in and out of consciousness, she needs it explained over and over. Wait, what? What happened? Where's Brett? You know, you were 
in a fire um, at Tom and Mark's house, and um, Brett didn't make it, and we had his funeral. I think he told me that there were balloons there, and um, and that you know he was buried in Blacksburg at his family church. So she had missed his funeral, but that fire, what was that? What had happened that night? <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a gnarly cough, um, but it's not, it's from the fire. It just never goes away. But uh, what had happened? Uh, we were at, we being Brett and I were at a uh, party at our best friend's house, um, St. Patrick's Day party. And um, Brett and I were kind of the last of the stragglers, and I was calling everybody cabs because uh, I was very adamant that nobody drink and drive. And uh, I we we missed our cab. Brett and I missed our cab, um, and so we went to go sleep in Tom's room. And evidently Mark woke up uh, somewhere between 2 and 4 in the morning, I don't really know, and his room um, was on fire. So he ran out of bed and then knocked on the door that Brett and I were in, and he opened the door and said, the house is on fire, you need to get out. And um, then he ran out to tell the rest of the duplex. Uh, And then when he came back and that, you know, maybe 30 seconds time, the hallway to the bedrooms had collapsed. So um, when the firefighters, ambulances got there, they uh, pulled us out of a side window of the bedroom, and I evidently was underneath, like, a burning bookshelf next to the doorway, and Brett was below the window. So there's a bunch of hypotheticals. One of them is that we got up to check our exits and passed out from smoke inhalation. Um, another is that uh, he had pushed me over to break the window and um, was kind of, like, Blocking me as much as possible. Um, But regardless, they pulled us out of the side window and, um, and, you know, his burns were evidently not nearly as bad as me, but he inhaled a lot more smoke. So, yeah, he didn't have any uh, brain activity. Brett died and Ashley did not. Again and again. And now the fog was clearing. The pain was setting in. Not just the pain of Brett's absence, but of real physical wounds. About 38% of my body was burned full thickness, which means um, that the fire went through every layer of skin. And then, you know, about the other 40% of me had been lasered off to make skin grafts. I mean, essentially, most of my body was burnt, and I'm covered in all these bandages and staples. Um, and at this point at the rehabilitation hospital, they're, they're trying to teach me how to walk again. And I can talk, but it's like this. I sound like a 90-year-old woman who's been smoking a pack of cigarettes, you know, every day, so. (laughs) 
few months before all this, everything was different. Ashley was 24 years old. She was in love with her goofy, sweet boyfriend, Brett. She described him as a way better person than she will ever be. Kind, loyal, morals galore. Ashley was Brett's first girlfriend, and he was so into her. I used to live by these uh, railroad tracks, so when we'd, um, you know, go for brunch or something, we'd put coins on the track, go and eat, and then come back and search for our squished coins. And then for Valentine's Day, um, we just wanted to be just the two of us, so I went over to his house, and he had made me this delicious homemade pot roast, and... And he handed me this teeny little box, and I was like, what is that? And I opened it, and he had gone in my coin purse and grabbed the smushed coins and had them turned into a necklace. And um, it was just so thoughtful and creative. And, I mean, for Christmas that year, he had memorized my cat's face a little bit at a time, gone home and painted what he memorized for the day, and then for Christmas, give me this beautiful painting of my cat that he painted from memory over the course of like four months <clears throat> like who does that <laughs> and I think it's just important for our listeners to remember this is like 2006 so it's not like he had an iPhone it's not like you could like oh gosh no his phone you know? couldn't even send text messages yeah, like it was a simpler we time we had phones but yeah yeah it was a flip phone love is so weird love is painting a cat portrait from memory that's that's weird and love. That is perfect. That is love. Love is hope. Love is promise and potential. It's the idea that the best is here and the best is also yet to come. I think I proposed to him about three months into our relationship. Um, and he was like, you know, my parents would kill me. Like if I got engaged right now to, after we've only been together for three months and um I mean, he used to tell me, like, you're all I've ever wanted and, and anybody. Like, you're everything I've ever dreamed of. And the feeling was mutual. Like, we were going to move back to where he was from and start a family. I was going to finish nursing school there, which I had started to do when I met him because I wanted to be good for our future, you know? Yeah, we had some pretty good plans, hopes. In the rehab center, Ashley's plans had changed. They were much more immediate. I'm starting to be able to eat a little bit, but they're still feeding me through a tube. And um, they have a catheter put in um, every time I need to use the restroom because I've lost the ability to um, urinate on and um, have a bowel movement on my own. Like your muscle memory does not, it immediately zaps out. As for hope, Ashley was struggling. You know, here I was. Um, I had been a self-supporting independent woman, and my mom is doing everything for me, like feeding me. Um, and I just thought, this is this is it for me. Like, I'm going to be, my mom's going to have to take care of me the rest of my life. And, um, you know, I'm horribly burned, like, how could anybody possibly find this attractive? All around her, other patients were being wheeled about 
by their partners, being visited by their significant others, being reminded that beyond these walls, there was love, there's promise, there's potential. There was no guarantee I was going to walk or um, get my mental faculties back uh, from, you know, brain damage. But yeah, I didn't see... It was, there was no future. It was uh, a wheelchair. BRB. Ashley was in a rehab center. Her boyfriend, Brett, was dead. She couldn't walk. She couldn't talk. Um, have you ever read The Diving Bell and the Butterfly? I was, we have a weird connection because I was just <laughs> thinking about that. The Diving Bell and the Butterfly is a beautiful memoir by the French journalist Jean-Dominique Bobby. I just wanted to use an accent. I don't know if it's good. He suffered a massive stroke and he woke up fully aware of his surroundings but only able to communicate by blinking one eye he wrote an entire book like this by blinking an eye and it's beautiful and it's also devastating and terrifying how our bodies can do this how one day you can be a butterfly off to anywhere you want and the next day locked in that same body just trapped in darkness. I'm laying in the rehabilitation hospital. I've just uh, walked maybe like two steps and it's just this ginormous deal and I'm so pissed off. And um, I had read that book probably six months prior to uh, El Fuego. And I just remember how all of his brain was there, but he was so trapped. And I just knew at that moment, like, I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life unless I fight harder than I think I can in order to try and get better. That book just stuck with me every day, you know. Um, it, it saved my life, to be honest, just knowing, like, I don't want to live like that. And it, it, would, it was very possible that that could have been my future. I think that moment I accepted, like, this is reality, and I am in this bed, and Brett is dead, and my mom is taking care of me, and I am being fed through a tube. And um, the next day, I just—I think I allowed myself to uh, be angry and, um, like, focus that anger on just fighting— Imagine now a montage, Ashley channeling all that grief and rage and sorrow into progress. Inspirational music plays in the background. Yeah, Hans, music like that. 
This is a turning point, sort of. To be perfectly honest, my goal was to just be self-operative enough to kill myself. But, like, I had a goal. <laughs> and it it drove me. Um, for I need, I'm going to walk. So I learned how to walk. And then I'm going to, you know, learn how to brush my teeth again or take a shower on my own. And it took a while, but I got there. And eventually the goal of being able to find a time to kill myself had passed. And the next goal was, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to write a sentence and eventually I'm going to read a book again. You know, just baby goals. And baby goals turn into bigger goals. Ashley's best friend is getting married. And after Ashley takes her first steps in the rehab facility, it's early May when she does that, she decides that she's going to walk up the aisle at her best friend's wedding 18 days later. Yeah, I think her wedding is on May 23rd. My brother helped me. Um, like, he walked beside me. Like, he held me up, you know. But And it was on sand, too. So, like, I rocked that shit. Or I was like, what? <laughs> like, not to show up the bride, but I was just uh, dead for a while. Yeah. And now I'm your bridesmaid. Yeah, I immediately went to a wheelchair after, like, the... I think I walked for maybe, like, 20 steps and... Um, was in a wheelchair the rest of the night, but hey, that doesn't it doesn't matter. I did it, you know. I was there. I showed up. Boom. Boom. Ashley was walking, talking, brushing her teeth, showering. And at the end of May, she was discharged from the rehab facility. It was time to go home. But where was home? Ashley's apartment had been let go. Brett's apartment had been let go. She didn't want to go to her mom's house. Nothing felt like home anymore. My desire to have a beautiful life was gone. When I first learned I'd be going and living with my mom, I was so pissed and devastated. And um, I... Keep in mind, I thought she was trying to kill me because I was hallucinating that she was a gigantic spider, you know? And uh, I was just so mad. And um, God, bless, I love them so much. But, like, I couldn't imagine living at home again, having my mom taking care of me. It just would have... But um, so we got an apartment together, a little two-bedroom apartment. And at first, I had a hospital bed, and I had a, a nurse who would come and take care of me. And then pretty quickly my mom took over she she did much better than most of them because she knew exactly how to do my wound care (laughs) and what was the what was the pain like at this point physically yeah um the so when you are burned full thickness it go it burns through your nerves so um the pain got worse as time went on as my nerves started to reconnect so it's kind of like being burned in reverse for the wound care at that time she would basically just have to I would get completely naked and we would take off all my bandages and she would slather me in this stuff called Alta and there was this other like yellow cream um, and she'd basically just like have to very gently rub my entire body with this stuff and then 
very gently rewrap me. And um, at that point, I th- all the staples were taken out. And um, it's just hard to, I mean, if you just, you know, when you burn your hand on a pot and it's like, so it hurts, but like, it was just my whole body. I don't know how to describe it. It was, it's, it's literally indescribable. Um, Ashley went from hallucinating that her mom was a giant spider to depending on her mother for everything. But then after probably about a month of living together, like, I could not leave her side. Like, I did not want any future without her there constantly. I mean, she was my role dog. We did everything together. And... That that's the future I wanted at that point is where one where I just lived just me and my mom <laughs> lived in an apartment together forever. It, I mean, I lost any any desire for anything but that. <laughs> that was Ashley's routine for at least a year, and it would be really easy to end here. The hero has moved into an apartment. She's walking. She's talking. She's taking showers. And Ashley was walking and talking and showering. But she was also used to living with her mom. But can that last forever? No, because eventually Ashley's mom, who I just want to say was never a spider and was not trying to kill Ashley... She moves out, which means that Ashley is also alone a lot, and she's in a lot of pain, and that she's been given a lot of ways to treat this pain. I'd been on them when I was comatose, so by the time I started waking up, my body was just used to them, and I just, you know, it's 9 a.m., take your 2 milligrams of Dilaudid, your 10 milligrams of Methadone, and your 10 milligram Percocet, and your 3,000 milligrams of gabapentin, and then redo it one, you know, just continue. Like, I was on a ton of drugs. I was not—I would fall asleep in my wheelchair. Even I would fall asleep on top of the toilet. I mean, I was so gone, <laughs> so incoherent. And I was taking those all all day, every day. One day, Ashley and her mother leave on a road trip to Florida. Ashley, who had never been in charge of her own prescription refills, realizes at some point, oh, huh, she forgot her methadone. Methadone is an opioid that's prescribed for people in extreme pain. But Ashley doesn't think forgetting it is a huge deal. In about maybe 30 minutes into our drive, I was dying. I felt like I was going to poop myself. I was sweating profusely, and my whole body was, like, aching so bad it was I was convulsing. And we called the doctor, and he quickly was like, well, she's in withdrawals. Like, you got to come back and refill this prescription, or she's not going to make it, you know? And not like she's going to die, but, I mean, you know, she is not physically, mentally going to be able to do anything. Um... That was my first taste of, like, holy, wow. I never want to feel that again. Did that raise, like, 
flags for your mom and your doctors? Like, oh, maybe she shouldn't be on so many medications? Or is that just like an expected side effect? I think it's expected. But and then we eventually did say like, I told them like, I want to try and get off everything. And I slowly weaned off all of it. Um, Like, which now if I were currently um, on massive amounts of methadone and I had to taper myself off, there's no way. I have lost all ability to to do that. But at the time, the addiction hadn't been really like activated yet. Um, I didn't have that obsession to to get high. I just wanted to get off these drugs and not feel sick while doing it. But it's just been so long since I got high from them. So once I got that high back, it was like, well, I can get these and they make me feel great. I mean, it makes her feel great, and Ashley doesn't have a hard time getting them, either. Lots of her acquaintances were on pain meds. So Ashley starts swapping pills, mixing that with alcohol. After the fire and losing Brad, I was just like, whatever, let's get it on, you know? Why not? I mean, yeah, why not? Yes, drugs are bad, and yes, life is precious, and also, if you've lost the love of your life, if you've been burned over most of your body, if you're in constant pain and you can't see a future for yourself that in any way resembles the future you thought you'd have, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen, or at least one of the worst things that can happen, is that You get very addicted to prescription drugs and you end up in rehab where you fall in love with someone who also loves prescription drugs. And then the two of you go into a sober living facility together where you meet someone who likes to smoke heroin. So you start doing that and your boyfriend finds out you're smoking heroin. He's like, what? No, babe, you got to shoot it. So we did that that night. And then um, I immediately started puking, but kept like, I also loved it because I was, like, super stretchy and my burns didn't hurt for the first time in a long time. And um, the next morning, we decided we were just going to throw it all in the ocean. And it was a horrible mistake. And he said, you know, Ashley, I just want to do one more shot. And I was like, I'm not into it. Like, I'm still puking from last night. And I left him. And he was supposed to be right behind me, but he wasn't coming. So I went back to the car and uh, or his truck and... I opened the passenger door and um, his clothes were just sopping wet and his eyes were wide open and his pupils were like literally the size of a pinpoint and his he was blue. And uh, I immediately realized he had overdosed. So I called 911 and like ran to his side of the truck and like pulled him out. And he's like 6'1", 180 maybe. And I'm like 5'6", 180. 30 maybe at the time so um and I was they walked me through CPR until the paramedics arrived and um you know I had a man come up to me in the parking lot of the -the jack-in-the-box while everybody's watching this happen nobody's helping and he the one guy comes up to me and puts his hand on my shoulder and he says just let him go honey and I was like fuck you I just remember thinking I am not going through this again not again you know The paramedics arrived, and Ashley's boyfriend survived. 
and Ashley did not let him go. That night was just the beginning. We shot up together 60 days later, and that started a year long of me doing heroin all day, every day, embezzling money from my job. And when he went back to treatment, I tried to move home. And the moment I realized I was too sick to ever do anything normal again is when I would go to my storage unit um, because all my stuff was in a unit. I was at my parents' house. And I would literally take a Q-tip with me. You had to clear the bubbles out of the needle, you know, so stuff splatters out. So I would take my Q-tip and rub it against the furniture and try and make a shot out of that. And, like, sometimes I would lick the furniture just so desperate to not feel sick anymore. Ashley ended up getting treatment and relapsing, getting treatment and relapsing, and then another treatment. My last uh, relapse landed me in a county-run psych ward for um, 14 days. And, And it was the first time my mom really sounded... Like she had given up. Um, It was just the sound in her voice was just, I knew that I had absolutely ruined everything. Um, My brother, I was supposed to be in his wedding and he not only asked me not to be in the wedding, but also requested that I not go. And our family's very close, you know. I think... Like, these little windows of memories are just, like, these moments of clarity where I was like, damn, I'm really sick. Like, I'm a super sick human, like, sleeping um, in the dirt, you know, after I had left a homeless shelter so I could get high. Yeah, it just... And you hear people say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. But for me, like, my insanity was I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew it was going to be all bad, and I'd lose everything, but I did it anyways. Like, I could not stop myself. You know, I don't think I fully uh, have let myself grieve the physical part of the fire until maybe the last two years or so. Because it just didn't even, it just didn't matter, you know? Like, yes, like, I had the thoughts of, like, I'm never going to have a boyfriend again. And, like, how, what am I going to look like naked, you know? (laughs) But it just was so minuscule compared to losing Brett that I just just didn't care. And I think that's a lot. Like, I eventually became super addicted to any sort of mind-altering substance, and I think that was a big part of it. I just didn't care anymore. Ashley had been to hell. She had thought she was dead. But this was something different. Addiction was a new form of death for her. I think the spiritual death this last time was far surpassed what I imagined I could experience, and a lot of that had to do with the way my family, just the way they, like I couldn't, I didn't see them, I could, I just heard it in their voice, but they were just, they didn't want me anymore, 
Like they did, you know, but they didn't. You know, I always, I still kind of hate when people say one day at a time, but I literally would just wake up in the morning and say, this is what I have to do to get through the rest of today. And that's all I have to focus on. Because if I looked at tomorrow, I, I just wanted to die. <laughs> so, yeah, I worked really hard. Um, did a lot every day to stay busy and um, not put a needle in my arm. While Ashley and I were talking during our interview, I found her on Facebook and I scrolled way, way back, way back to when she met Brett. Her photos of that time are just like all of my photos from my early 20s. Lots of pics of me and my friends in bars, real boring photos, really just us smiling, clutching our beers, happy, completely unaware of the many ways that life could and would demolish us. That fire took so much. It took Brett. It took their future together. It scarred Ashley's body. It was a physical and spiritual destruction for her. Ashley did see therapists and PTSD counselors during those first two years after Brett's death, but at that point, she was also just trying to survive physically. Any psychological healing wasn't really possible while she was just trying to learn how to be a person again. If you're familiar with addiction and recovery at all, you know that you're never cured. Recovery is a process that's ongoing. Right now, as we spoke, Ashley has a little over two years of clean time. She's gone back to school for drug and alcohol counseling and started working in a residential rehab facility, which makes sense to me. I think the only people who can possibly teach it are people who have been there, right? People who have hit their rock bottom? My philosophy on bottoms, <laughs> which not everyone agrees with, um, I, I am 100% convinced by my own experience that they don't exist. Because um, by my own experience, like, my bottom is death. So everything that happens in between there... It's not my bottom. It's just, it can just always get worse. Like, I don't know how to, like, the only bottom I can describe is when you put the shovel down and stop digging. But I just don't, I don't believe it. I don't think I've hit my bottom. I think, I just don't think it exists. I think uh, my bottom will be death. The day we spoke, Ashley had just discovered a new way to get high. Adrenaline. She'd found something new to love. It's skydiving. I would rather not jump out of an airplane. Personal preference. Would just like to stay seated. Maybe get up to use the bathroom once. But Ashley loves skydiving. It's essentially the opposite of her coma back when she was trapped in her body, that diving bell. How are you today? I'm fabulous. What a special occasion today. What's going on today? I'm about to jump out of a plane. Wait, what? Not trapped to 
somebody else. Oh my goodness. What? Are you crazy or what? Yeah. Okay, let's go have some fun, okay? Alright. Would you like to say hi to somebody? Uh, no. No? <laughs> let's go have some fun. This is from the video of Ashley's first solo jump, where she was going to leap on her own out of an airplane without being tied to anyone else. I was very nervous, but also um, just like super, just in awe of myself. Like, am I really doing this? You know, this is not something a lot of people do. Hey, you. Hi. We're halfway up. How are you feeling? Um, yeah, great. Are you nervous at all? Yes. Shake it. <laughs> you ready for this? Yeah. Of course you are. Let's go have some fun. It was a bright, sunny day, a beautiful blue sky, and a small plane climbing, climbing. The sky is, it's open, it's quiet, and, um... Ashley stepped to the edge of the door and jumped. I felt like I was being scooped up and um, just like literally surrounded by Brett and I've not felt that close to him since I went to sleep with him that night you know like it just he was he was so happy for me and he always wanted to climb Mount Everest and I was just telling him like it's not Everest but you know we're here And I was laughing, you know, like he had a bunch of nicknames for me and I could just hear, I could just hear him talking, calling me all of these names and um, just like, <sighs> I just felt like being hugged and I was alone, you know, thousands of miles above everything and I've never felt so not alone. I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. I'm the host of this show. I'm doing this from memory. I'm the host of Terrible. Thanks for asking. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. Our assistant producer is Marcel Malakibu. Our project manager is Hannah Meacock Ross. Our intern is Emma Martins. Who, who helped us on this episode? Nobody? Nobody. You know who we're thinking? No one. Okay, no thanks to Curtis Gilbert. We got this episode. <laughs> 
The book that we talked about in this episode is truly excellent. You should go check it out. It is called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. It is so beautiful. If you haven't read it, what a treat for you. There's also a movie, but like, read the book. And if you have, revisit it because I, I, I'd read it like maybe almost 20 years ago. Good golly. We are a production of American Public Media, APM. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson of Just Post Bellum. Ashley, yes. welcome back. Hi, thank you. What do you think? Uh, I don't think I've ever been able to do anything again with, with as much joy. <laughs> oh yeah, you're gonna Besides do jump. Yeah, exactly, yeah. more jumps. Yeah. You did girl. You did good, girl. Thank you. Are you ready for more? Yes. Hell yeah, Absolutely. let's do it. Woohoo!